Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I think that the roster restrictions limiting international players should just go away altogether. If an MLS team and the owner truly believe that their business and product is better by fielding a team of completely international imported talent, then go for it. MLS is a business. I've never believed that it had any inherent responsibility to the domestic player or the national team. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we will be talking about the new Major League Soccer season, which is upon us. We will have our Mossy Makes the Case segment, and we will be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment. Oh, also, we have a brand new segment called the World Cup Update. We are 108 days or so out from the Men's World Cup happening in Russia this summer. And we'll be talking about so much more. But as always, joining me is my friend, my colleague, and my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing, my friend? I am good. I am rocking a Bayern Munich jersey today and sitting in a new chair. As you know, there's been a lot of criticism of my posture on this podcast, so this is an effort to try to improve that. It has been criticism from outside, but also from inside. Uh, you self-examining and saying, I don't like the way that I look, and inevitably, people have their different takes. And what came out after the f- first couple of weeks was that your posture was not great, and then we said, well, maybe it's not David Mossy. Maybe we're blaming it on the wrong thing. And so we have gotten you a new chair, which is designed to help your posture. So hopefully for those that can see what we are doing here, as you see, he's wearing his Bayern Munich jersey, but also is standing up uh, and much more erect, or sitting much more erect than he has in the past. So you look great, my friend, at least from where I'm standing. I feel like a new man. You feel like a new man? Yep. Good. Uh, let's get this thing going, right? You ready to light this candle? Yep. All right. As always, we start with... Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, indeed, it is the State of the Union. This is what I have to say about the state of American soccer today. As the 23rd season of MLS gets ready to kick off this weekend, the question about playing time for domestic developed talent looms large. MLS was founded, in part, on the promise of providing opportunities for the domestic player and improving the national team. And it's done that, as it's become the most successful men's professional soccer league in North American history. A generation of domestic players have had long careers that they wouldn't have had without MLS. And the national team has undoubtedly improved with the player depth and competition that MLS has fostered. MLS is over a decade into its youth development initiatives with academies and second teams and resources aimed at the homegrown player. And MLS has provided a pathway. But that pathway is narrowing. The current MLS structure, rules, and money are designed to target and favor imported international talent. 
And with quicker green cards, the domestic player is becoming less of a priority for MLS. So to live up to its promise, MLS must find a way to give more playing time to domestic players without gifting them something they haven't earned competitively. And that's the rub. To assure it, you must mandate it. But if you mandate it, you risk potentially putting lesser quality talent on the field. But there's a simple solution. MLS, stop trying to play both sides. I think that the roster restrictions limiting international players should just go away altogether. If an MLS team and the owner truly believe that their business and product is better by fielding a team of completely international imported talent, then go for it. If that's the way they feel and that's what they feel their customers want, then give it to them. MLS is a business. I've never believed that it had any inherent responsibility to the domestic player or the national team. The truth is, in 2018, international imported talent sells. That's the reality. It is perceived as higher quality, whether true or not, and therefore, it's more valuable to the business. A business, by the way, that's trying to compete with the rest of the world. Now, I believe in the resilience and the ultimate value of the domestic player. Don't worry, the domestic player will find a way to survive and even thrive. We always have. What remains to be seen, though, is going forward, how much or little will MLS play a part? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my State of the Union for this week. Mossy, you got any thoughts? Well, Landon Donovan said something once in one of our production meetings that I thought was very interesting. He said that when he played in Germany, he figured out that when two players were competing for a spot, one was German, the other was a foreigner. If the foreigner was clearly better, he would play. But if it was close, a tie always went to the German. Would you at least like to see that in MLS? Do you think there's some some uh, logic to that? I, I mean, I, it depends what MLS wants to be going forward. MLS can still have a great impact on American soccer. And by the way, the national team without once again mandating and in doing so possibly putting that inferior talent on, on the field. Uh, would I like to see it? It's, it's almost uh, and it's almost un-American, Mossy. Uh, I believe in competition. I believe in business. I believe in giving people the opportunity to compete. And so MLS has decided this is how they want to be, in structure and in philosophy. And if that's what they want, that's great. I want to give each individual owner the opportunity to do what he or she feels is right for their business. If that involves domestic players, homegrown talent, American players, that's great. But if it doesn't, if that's what the public wants, if that's what your customer is going to buy and is going to demand more so than if you feel the team of all uh, domestically developed talent, then I want to give them the opportunity to do that. Do you think that MLS or any other league, for that matter, has an inherent responsibility to the country, or the, in this case, the countries that they play in? It's an interesting debate. It's one they're grappling with in England, the success of the Premier League, but it's come at something of a cost because they have so much money, they're able to buy all these foreign players, and people feel like the young English player isn't getting a chance. And it's particularly an issue now because England has had all this success at youth level and they have all these great players coming up, but are they going to get a chance in the Premier League? Uh, so if an MLS team, say, won the CONCACAF Champions League someday, fielding a starting 11 with 11 foreigners, uh, how would you feel about that? Would you take satisfaction? Would you think that'd be a feather in the cap of American soccer? Or not really, if it comes... It would, no, it would be a feather in the cap of Major League Soccer and American soccer in that the league is played both in America and Canadian soccer, for that matter. But it, it wouldn't... 
it, w it wouldn't say anything about our development system. Now, with this caveat, uh, I'm going to read you a quote from Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent has played uh, for our youth national teams when it comes to the U.S. He has not played professionally. He's just signed over in Germany. And when asked about him going over to Germany, he said, when you look at MLS, you don't see many young players getting minutes. But Weston, he's referring to Weston McKinney, who's also playing over in Germany, and Christian, obviously Christian Pulisic, who's doing very well in Germany. Weston and Christian are getting minutes. I don't know how I can refuse that. So Don Garber and Major League Soccer have said they want MLS to be a league of choice. If you don't show a pathway to young, domestically de developed talent to get to that first team for playing time, then it's not going to be a league of choice for them. Now, it might be a league of choice for people outside to come in, but if, it, if, if you don't show that pathway, then the choice isn't going to be there as it hasn't been in terms of the way that someone like Josh Sargent looks. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing because to, to counter the, the, the argument in, in England, what, what people might say is that, Yes, but this type of incredible competition for spot will actually bring out the best American players and therefore give, from a national team perspective, the best players will ultimately rise to the top. And I do believe that domestic talent will, if given the opportunity, will rise in that competitive situation. I don't necessarily, I don't want them gifted anything. Well, so let me ask you the money question. How much blame do you give MLS for the U.S. not qualifying for the World Cup? I give them no blame at all. Listen, I believe that Major League Soccer has made the United States men's national team better. It has created depth. It has created competition. Nobody complained about Major League Soccer when DeMarcus Beasley and Landon Donovan were starring in the 2002 World Cup. Nobody complained when even in an abysmal uh, moment in 1998, Frankie Haydick and Brian McBride were starring. There were, you could star for the U.S. men's national team at a World Cup playing in MLS or playing overseas. It, it's not one thing, uh, one thing or the other. But this notion that MLS is to blame for the current failures of the U.S. men's national team, that is preposterous in, 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 in my mind. Do you believe that it's to blame? And in what way? Well, if you buy into the notion that uh, a domestic league has a responsibility to develop uh, young talent from that country, then I suppose you would look at the U.S. not qualifying for the World Cup, but in some fashion, that's a reflection on MLS. But if you reject that theory outright, then yeah, then you would, you would give them no blame. But I would also submit to you that Major League Soccer over the last 23 years has provided an opportunity for players who otherwise would, ha would not have had the opportunity not just to have a career overseas, because many of them wouldn't have been able to go overseas, but just to have a career being a professional athlete. And, so, and some, a very long and successful career that they wouldn't have had in the Wild West and the, the difficult days, shall we, shall, shall we say, that existed before Major League Soccer. Does Major League Soccer have flaws? Absolutely. Does it have problems? 100%. I, 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 I am, look, I am admittedly, biased. I love Major League Soccer. It is la cosa nostra. It is our thing, warts and all. But it is not, it's faith in Major League Soccer on and off the field, but it's not blind faith. If it deserves defending, I will defend it. But if it deserves criticism, I will criticize it. And I think, I think that's important. But I don't see Major League Soccer as a problem for, United States, uh, for the United States when it comes to the national team. The development of, of young players in a strange way, it might even force more young players to do what Josh Sargent has done and go overseas and maybe even become better in the process for doing so. So maybe MLS, while directly won't have that impact, but indirectly will be the catalyst 
and in a strange way will have made a situation that because that pathway is narrowing, more American players go different places, and then that improves the, uh, uh, the national team. And in that sense, then MLS will have actually been a, a positive influence on the national team, right? Well, Mossy, look, this is a debate and a discussion that's worth having that will continue, and it's not going to change, and it's probably only going to get uh, worse or better depending on how you look at it when, uh, when, when it comes to Major League Soccer and how are they going to find or are they going to find minutes for young, domestically developed talent to play. Moving on, it's time for, oh, you know it, you love it. Mossy makes the case. You heard it. Yep. It's time for Mossy Makes the Case. All right, David Mossy, what do you have for us this week? My case is that Arsene Wenger is a selfish man. Uh, there How were dare you? How a lot of uh, big games in Europe this past week, and the one I was most interested in was the League Cup final. Uh, City beat Arsenal 3-0 at Wembley without even playing that well, mind you. The story was how dreadful Arsenal were. They had one great chance with Obama Young early on and then did nothing the rest of the game. There were a couple of stretches where Claudio Bravo could have run to the bathroom and come back and nobody would have noticed. And uh, it became another chance to reflect on the plight of Arsenal, the plight of Arsene Wenger. And others have made this point, but I want to make it too. The juxtaposition of Pep and Wenger was fascinating because everything that Pep is now, Arsene Wenger once was. When he arrived in England in 1996, he was the innovator. He was the revolutionary with his training methods, his style of play. Warren Barton's told me some great stories of his Newcastle teams facing Arsenal in the late 90s and getting nowhere near the ball the whole game. And now City are that team, and Pep is that manager. And seeing Arsenal on the wrong side of that with Wenger looking like this stodgy old man was, was kind of sad, actually. And it's time to go. He has another year on his contract after this, but I cannot see what can be gained by this man coaching this team next season. Uh, it's an ego thing for him now. It's a pride thing, but he's being selfish. He's doing a disservice to the club. This has to be his last season in charge. I would agree with you, uh, but I would say that uh, only in that the joy that I and let's be honest, many millions of others around the world get from seeing the failure that is Arsenal at different times because it's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, it's become almost a situation where it's it's less joy and you're almost looking at Arsenal and, and it's not as much fun when Arsenal fail now um, because it's a self-fulfilling type of prophecy and the joy in, in, that it used to bring me is, is, is not the same. I, I, my question to you, though, about Arsene Wenger specifically, is it because the game has passed him by and he has refused or has been unable to, um, to develop or evolve with that game? Or, or, or is it a situation where he just doesn't have enough talent on that team to compete at the level that people expect from Arsenal? No, I think it's the first thing. There's a lot of talent in an Arsenal squad with the right manager. I think they could be a lot more competitive than they are. And as far as who that might be, I've heard people say that when Wenger leaves Arsenal, the same thing's going to happen to them that happened to United when uh, Ferguson left. But it's not because they're not going to bring in David Moyes. They're actually going to go out and get the best manager available and get a big name with pedigree. So I think they'll be fine. And frankly, the bar isn't as high at Arsenal. When Ferguson left, they had won the Premier League by 11 points that season. They were a couple years removed from getting to a Champions League final. Uh, Arsenal haven't been doing that. So I think the next manager coming in, if it's an Allegri or Tuchel or somebody like that, he'll be fine. And he'll actually get more out of those players and Wenger has been getting. And I think Arsenal will actually be heading in the right direction again. Well, so nobody accuses you of being ageist or anything like that. Like that. It has nothing to do necessarily with how old you are. Obviously, the longer you're in the game, the older you are, the more maybe need for 
uh, changing and adapting and evolving. Because if you look at Sir Alex, one of the great things about him was he was able for a long, long time and multiple generations to be able to stick to what he felt from a philosophical standpoint but still change in the way that he dealt with players uh, and in the way that he dealt with ta- uh, with tactics and changed. Yeah, look at you, Pinkus. He's 72. He's at the age where you don't buy green bananas anymore, but he's still a heck of a coach. Uh, so it, it's not, it has nothing to do with age per se. I mean, there, you, you can adapt. Now, let me say this. If they make the Champions League next season, I think he will come back. He's that stubborn that he'll use that as a, enough of an excuse to justify coming back. But what I don't you mean know. mean when, when Europa? Well, okay. yeah, they're not going to finish in the top four. Okay, so they got to. And I have serious doubts about it. They might lose in this round to AC Milan, the way Milan are playing under Gattuso. And if they run into Atletico Madrid, they are dead meat. Uh, in fact, every team in the Champions League right now should thank their lucky stars Atletico didn't make it out of their group because they would have been a handful with Costa and Griezmann scoring goals for fun now in that back line. If Arsenal faced them in the Europa League, to me, they are decided underdogs. So I don't see them winning the Europa League. If they don't make Champions League next year... Is he still there? I think there's a chance then common sense would prevail and he would leave. Oh, now you want common sense to prevail at Arsenal. <laughs> Come on. All right. Well, are, are you still a fan of, Ar- of Arsene Wenger's? I admire what a great career he's had. Like I said, once upon a time, he was this great innovator. I think he did a lot for English football. But Has he tarnished his image? Though? Yes. Because of this? Really? Absolutely. You, you, can't, you can't separate yourself from the debacle that has been relative to the, the great body of work that this man has accomplished or is it just going to take some time to do that i mean the last couple years have been like michael jordan with the wizards and you know it's hard to get that out of your mind it's part of the story now unfortunately my last question to you Uh, you mentioned that you think there's more talent at arsenal now than is being shown right now are there uh, of the players that are there if anybody else were to come in do you think that they would clean house or do you think that they would keep the talent there because they thought that they could get better out of it They'd make some changes, but I don't think it'd be a clean house situation. Like I said, I think there's a lot of good players in that squad that under the right manager could could deliver. Why do you hate Arsene Wenger? He's French. (laughs) All right, Mossy. What's your Twitter handle again? At Statman Moss. All right, so uh, for all of you uh, folks that want to yell at him for anything that he has said, including that that horrible French remark that he just made, just make sure you send it to uh, him and not me. All right, that was our uh, Mossy Makes the Case. Moving on. Ask Alexi. Well, as you heard, it is time for our Ask Alexi segment, the segment in which we answer your questions that you have submitted out there on social media with the hashtag Ask Alexi. Mossy, what do the good people out there have to say and ask this week? First up is at Matthew S. A-U-N-G-S-T. I'm not <laughs> what are we going to try with? to pronounce Angst? Angst. Yeah. Angst. There's no umlaut or anything, is there? Okay, no. All right. What does Matthew have to say? Agree with Landon Donovan's call for an American to be the U.S. men's national team coach? I don't agree with it in that I don't care where the men's national team coach uh, comes from. I don't care if it's a domestic coach, an international coach, man, woman. It really doesn't matter to me. But what I do agree with him is that it's okay to say that in this day and age where we love to scream and yell about uh, uh, this person and that person and accuse people of being racists or xenophobes or, or anything like that. It, it's okay. I understand exactly what Landon Donovan is saying. If I had my druthers and it, everything was equal, yeah, I would I would like to have a, a coach that has an understanding based on time 
of the American landscape when it comes to Major League Soccer, a history. That, that, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean that that person has to be American, but they have to have an understanding. So when Landon Donovan says that, I don't immediately fly off the handle and accuse him of uh, being xenophobic and, and how could you possibly say that? It's, it's done with, first off, Landon Donovan has an incredible experience and a multitude of coaches that he has played for and uh, experienced. And so I think he recognizes and understands that having that information, that knowledge and that perspective and that depth is important for a national team coach. I think it's important too. I just don't think that it's that it's completely essential to have in order to be successful. The, the best national team coach that I ever, ever had in my career was Bora Milutinovic, who obviously was not born and raised and certainly didn't have a lot of experience when it came to the American game. But that was also an element of timing. He came to my life at the perfect moment, and he changed my life uh, for, the, for the better. But that doesn't mean that a guy like Peter Vermes right, uh, right now or Caleb Porter or any of these – I guess you would consider them traditional domestic coaches couldn't have as much or better success than any other coach that has happened in the past. So I get what Landon Donovan is saying here. I would go for David Wagner, but to appease Landon, he might have to go by David Wagner. (laughs) David Wagner, the uh, current coach of uh, Huddersfield, a former U.S. men's international. Uh, I played with him on the national team, although he grew up uh, and spent most of his time and has continued to spend most of his time over in Europe for those that don't know who David Wagner is slash Wagner. Next up, at 919 Falcoholic, buy or sell Atlanta United winning MLS Cup in year two. Yes. If I ever find the man or woman that is correctly and consistently able to predict Major League Soccer, I will grab him or her, I will throw them in the car, not in the trunk, but in a a nice seat, and I will drive immediately to Las Vegas because I think it is the most difficult league in the world to predict, and it's it's, it's by design. With the manufactured parity, you don't have the haves and the have-nots, so... When I say Atlanta in its second year of of existence, can they challenge? Yes. Certainly they're spending the money. Certainly their first year, what they did would lead you to believe that that is a team that certainly can compete uh, with Ezekiel Barco, the record $15 million transfer for the uh, 19-year-old Argentinian. That's exciting. This is must-see television when it comes to Major League Soccer. Atlanta United makes it interesting and entertaining for me, unlike some other clubs out there. And they have done it now consistently consistently over the last couple of years. It's got to translate into wins, but there is nothing that that tells me that a team like Atlanta United with what they were last year and what they, at least on paper, are going to be this year can't compete for Major League Soccer uh, when it comes to MLS Cup. At CFC Supporter 26, who do you predict to win the Champions League? We've talked about this before now, and, and I want your, your your input here, Mossy, because uh, I know you've talked about how the winner of Real Madrid PSG, whoever goes through, is going to be really formidable. If I had to take all of my, my money right now and go to Las Vegas and put it down, I'd put it on Barcelona. If I had to take all of your money, I would put it on Bayern Munich. Yeah, I don't think there is a clear favorite. I know I said that about Real Madrid PSG, but that was not said with a lot of conviction. And by the way, we're taping this on a Monday, some big news regarding that tie. Uh, Neymar got hurt this past weekend. 
against Marseille, yep. and he's now definitely out of the second leg, so that makes the task even tougher for uh, PSG having to overturn a 3-1 deficit. A quick thought on the Neymar thing. Uh, this drove me crazy this weekend. It is such a second guess to criticize Unai Emery for not taking him out of that game. Ronaldo played all 90 minutes this weekend in a match. Real Madrid won 4-0. Messi played all 90 minutes uh, in a match. Barcelona won 6-1. PSG have had about 20 different blowouts this season. Neymar's played 90 minutes in all those games. These guys, they like to stay in in these blowouts to pad their stats. They get mad if you take them out, yep. and then you have an angry superstar on your hands. Now, we can have a larger debate on whether those guys need to be smarter about how they take care of their bodies and what they prioritize, but uh, to, to just in a vacuum criticize Unai Emery and say, what an idiot, how could he have left him out in that game in that situation without understanding the larger picture there, I thought was very unfair. And you mentioned that without Neymar in Champions League for PSG, it makes it that much more difficult. But in a strange way for the man you just mentioned, Unai Emery, who was under a tremendous amount of pressure given the talent and the money that's been spent for that holy grail of at least getting to the Champions League final, maybe this is something that enables him to keep his job because if Neymar isn't there and they go out, you say, yes, but Neymar isn't there. Is that enough, you think, to keep his job? It might be, yeah. Now, I don't totally rule out them going through. I mean, a team went Even out without Neymar. Neymar beat Barcelona 4-0 at home in the round of 16. Yep. There's still a lot of talent there. It'll be either Draxler or Di Maria stepping in for him with Mbappe and Cavani. Oh, I'm not so, crying for PSG. Don't worry. But certainly Real Madrid, overwhelming favorites now to advance. They already were. Even with Neymar, it was a tall order to overturn a 3-1, but even tougher now. All right. Well, that was our uh, Ask Alexi segment. You can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook and all the different social platforms. Ask, our, ask a question with the Ask Alexi hashtag. And who knows? You might have us discussing your question in an upcoming episode. All right. Moving on. World Cup Update. Yes, as you heard, we have a new segment here on the State of the Union podcast. We are calling it the World Cup Update, as you all know. And if you don't... what. What the hell is your problem? The Men's World Cup is happening in Russia. We are about 108 or so days out from the World Cup. And so this is a segment in which we uh, look at some storylines that certainly are going to be important coming uh, this summer. Uh, as it relates to players and teams on and off the field, those stories that we will be talking about. Mr. Mossy, what do you have for our first World Cup update? Alexi, we've talked on this podcast about this tremendous race for the Premier League Golden Boot this season. Uh, Sergio Aguero, Mohamed Salah, and Harry Kane all neck and neck. And all three of those gentlemen are going to be in Russia this summer. Aguero with Argentina, Salah with Egypt, and Harry Kane with England. So let's talk about today which one of those three is going to have the biggest influence at the World Cup. The biggest influence. Now, should we say the biggest influence in regards to the results or the biggest influence in terms of making a splash? Because I think someone like Mo Salah, with what he has done, he is going to be a star from the moment that he gets there. And he will rise above other stars, even big stars, because he is unique. He is in this moment. He is being talked about of potentially going to one of those super clubs. So I'm looking forward to Egypt simply because it has Mo Salah. And not only because it has it, but if he were to be able to parlay that success that he has had individually uh, with, with Liverpool. Parlay all of that attention that's coming. And yes, parlay the success that he has had being part of that team and helping lead that team to the World Cup into a successful World Cup than for Egypt. My goodness, because people expect Sergio Aguero and Argentina to do well. It's, it's, it's Argentina. England, people expect it, and then 
they expect them to fail. That's kind of what they do. I'm not saying Harry Kane isn't important. He is incredibly important for England in terms of goal scoring. But I think that if I look at this, to answer your question, Mo Salah, for me, has the opportunity to make the biggest impact, the biggest global impact with what he does because he is working with less than either of the other two. Yeah, one of the great mysteries in international football the last few years is why Argentina struggles to score goals in big matches. Before every major tournament, people look at their roster and they base it on club pedigree. They say, well, the attack is great, the defense is going to be suspect, but it hasn't played out that way. At the last World Cup, they scored two goals in four knockout stage matches. And by the way, with three extra times. So in terms of minutes, it was the equivalent of five games. And the saving grace and why they almost won the tournament is because they didn't concede any goals. And remember, both those Copa America finals against Chile were nil-nil. They lost on penalties. And this last qualifying campaign where they almost didn't make it, their defensive record was great. It was right up there at the top, close to Brazil's, but they didn't score any goals. This is a country with Messi, Aguero, uh, Higuain, Icardi, Dybala, Di Maria. But they missed big chances. And... Well, we'll see if Sampaoli is the manager to finally unlock that key, because if he does, then the answer here is clearly Aguero. Right, but, but you're not calling Argentina a defensive juggernaut or anything. They're not parking the bus. They're not sitting back or anything like that. No, they no, get, it's just— They create the opportunities. They're just not putting the ball exactly, in the back of the net. Exactly. Uh, but if, if they can unlock that key, then the answer here is clearly Aguero. He's on the best team. They're going to go the farthest. He's surrounded by the most talent. He's the one likeliest, I think, to have a monster tournament. Salah will do what he can with Egypt, but it's Egypt. How far are they going to go? And Harry Klein plays for England, so he won't be around for too long. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's got to be Sergio Aguero. Oh, my goodness. You think? Okay. All right. So I'm going to go with Mo Salah. You're going to go with Sergio Aguero. I know there's people out there that will go for Harry Kane. I mean, Harry Kane has the potential to lead England to a land that they obviously haven't been to since back in the uh, 1900s. And I, it would, I wouldn't put it past him, given, given his ability, because constantly when people doubt him, when he first burst on the scene, he said, oh, it's, you know, it's an anomaly. This is his first time in. Can he really do it continually? Boom, he comes right back. Oh, yeah, okay, he can only do it in England. And he does it internationally. His next big step from a club perspective is going to an even bigger club And if he's doing it at Real Madrid. But from an international perspective, if he's the one, if he's the savior that leads England to the promised land, I'm not even talking about necessarily winning the World Cup, just that promised land of him scoring and scoring when all the focus and attention is on him, then you should knight him even before he gets back from Russia. I, I was slow to come around to the Harry Kane thing, but I'm there now. I mean, he is right up there with Lewandowski and Suarez as the three best number nines in the world. He is an incredible striker. And all jokes aside, yeah, he could have a big tournament and help England go far. He's a terrific player. Well, our coverage this summer, as we've said time and time again, uh, we're so excited about uh, doing all of the things and talking about all of these stories. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of focus on the big three with Neymar, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Messi. But there are incredible players, as we mentioned, and goal scorers galore and icons when it comes uh, to their team and potential game changers and potential players that can have an impact that's going to last well beyond the summer. And those are three of the players that we identified to keep an eye on going forward. I'm sure you guys have your own pick out there as to who you're looking for. Either it's one of these three or somebody that we didn't mention. Go ahead. Send us your uh, your picks for who you have your eye on this summer to make a big impact for the team and in that tournament. And that has been our brand new segment, the World Cup Update. Not bad for the first time, Mossy, huh? Excellent. All right, moving on. The back three. 
All right, we're coming to the end. As you heard, the back three. Mossy, what we got? All right, so, Alexi, as you know, June 13th, the day before the 2018 World Cup begins, FIFA will announce the host for the 2026 tournament. That three-pronged U.S.-Mexico-Canada bid is the favorite, but Morocco in the mix, too. And former FIFA president Sepp Blatter has endorsed Morocco. <laughs> well, if I'm uh, if I'm Morocco, I'm saying, "Hey, Sep, my man, it's okay, it's okay, my man. Don't no, don't need to do that so loud." But keep in mind that, regardless of Sep Blatter's history, he does have incredible support and global support, and he still is a voice. How much that voice resonates, I think you'd actually be surprised out there. But the reality is that when it comes down to the joint bid between the United States, Mexico and Canada versus Morocco. This is what I hope this bid committee for the joint bid is doing. They are going around, and I know for a fact they are going around the world, which is what you you should be doing, and you should be meeting with all of these members. Now, Mossy, as you know, when it comes to the United States in particular, we are not looked on, shall we say, fondly by everybody out there in the world. But this is what you have to impress upon uh, when it comes to the membership. You have to go to people that... The ones that are voting for you, and there's a lot of them out there, that's not a problem. But the ones that aren't voting for you and that you want to lobby to vote for you, this is what I hope Sunil Gulati and all of that bid committee is doing. They go in and they say, look, you might not like us. You might not like us as a country. You might not like our policies. You might not like our politicians. But one thing that you do like, and what has been proven over the years, is you like money. And money, and not, not in a bad way, not in a negative way, You like money, and you like to have as much money at your disposal as possible to help the sport in your country for your membership. If you vote for the joint bid of the United States, Mexico, and Canada, you are going to have more money than you have ever had in history. That money is going to help your country and help your membership. So if you have to hold your nose to vote for a joint bid that includes the United States of America, you do it. And you do it not because you believe it's necessarily the right thing to do for you and your political persuasions, but you do it because it's the right thing to do for your soccer and for your membership in your country that you represent. And you impress upon them that the money that they are going to be able to access after this World Cup that is going to be more spectacular and more successful from a financial position than any World Cup that has ever happened they are going to have that windfall and they are going to make themselves and their country and their soccer better. Not themselves, but they will make their country and their soccer better from that money. So if they have to hold their nose, hold their nose, but vote for that joint bid. Uh, let me say one thing. Uh, wherever they put the 2026 tournament, I am not a fan of the 48-team field, and not because of dilution of quality. It's more about the format. They're talking about 16 groups of three, which I find ludicrous. Uh, and then they've also figured out that when you have a group of three, invariably you're going to have two teams playing the final group game, knowing a certain result qualifies them both at the expense yep. of the team that's idle. So they're talking about having shootouts after every game if it ends in a draw. So uh, this, to me, is silly. And so I hope the U.S. gets this. I'll be excited. But I, I have a feeling once we get this hosting out of the way, we're going to have a whole other set of issues to talk about with this tournament. 
so you want groups of four. You want to stick with groups of four. I'm fine with the way things are right now. I, I didn't see that. To me, this was a solution in search of a problem. There are five African teams in this World Cup this summer, five Asian teams. Who's complaining about being underrepresented? Do you think CONCACAF is underrepresented right now, getting three and a half bids? Uh, to me, 32 is the right number for where we are right now, uh, eight groups of four. And I think everybody was happy. I've never heard anybody complaining about the 32-team field. So, Mossy, everybody knows that size matters, all right? The bigger, the better. This is a this is a Super World Cup. All one word, Super World Cup, all right? You can hashtag it, you can copyright it, trademark it, whatever you need to do. Bigger is better. And that's one of the reasons why the joint bid is probably the only bid that can host it with the infrastructure that we have. We're not we're not we're not building anything. I hope and pray that as we come on air for the World Cup this summer on Fox, we are coming on with that wonderful message that while the men's team isn't there and everybody's disappointed, keep in mind that in 2026, the World Cup is coming back to the United States along with Mexico and Canada to have the biggest and the best and the most financially successful World Cup in the history of the world. What else? All right, so let's delve into this whole Paul Pogba, Jose Mourinho situation. Yes, I've heard of him. Uh, reportedly, a lot of friction between the two. Pogba was left on the bench for United's Champions League match against Sevilla last week, but then had to come on because Ander Herrera got hurt early in the first half. But uh, I read some stories, too, that what's behind this, it's actually a feud between the agents, Mino Raiola and Jorge Mendes. Uh, so there's a lot going on here. But uh, how do you see this playing out? Uh, does Pogba end up leaving? Does United get rid of Mourinho? Like, who wins this power struggle if it gets to that point? Oh, I think if it's between Mourinho and Paul Pogba, at least in the next year, Paul Pogba loses out uh, on this. Uh, and, and to be fair to Mourinho, we've talked about this before, Paul Pogba, for me, in a much more withdrawn, I, I, I hesitate to say defensive because I want him to kind of roam and be a maraudering type of uh, player. But for me, when he starts out in a more defensive type of posture, I think he's world class. I think as he gets further and further up the field, I think he becomes less and less effective. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't score goals. It doesn't mean that he can't jump into the attack. But I like him coming late into the attack. And I think Mourinho has recognized that that's his best position. I'm not sure Paul Pogba has. And if it comes down to Mourinho saying, look, once again, for me, Paul Pogba is not essential for the success of Manchester United right now. There are, there are, there's a guy like David De Gea. He's essential. And in terms of the points that he gets, in terms of how much of a presence and how important he is on the field for Manchester United. So if Paul Pogba is there or not for me, it doesn't really change the calculation for me on whether Manchester United is a good team. He hasn't, in in his time there, he has yet to make that impact where I say, you know what, you got to have Paul Pogba on the field. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about Mourinho is early in his career, everybody else might hate him, but the players in his dressing room love them. They would run through a wall for him. And I don't feel that way anymore about the last couple of places he's been. He's starting to feed with his own players now and starting to get on their nerves. So to me, that's a problem. Uh, you're right. He might win out on this power struggle, but he's starting to have too many issues with his own players, which is concerning. We'll end on this note, some some really bad news on the MLS front. Uh, Jordan Morris, it's been confirmed, uh, torn ACL is going to be out many, many months. So how big a loss is this for the Seattle Sounders and for the U.S. men's national team? Well, I think it's a loss for the national team because as this new core of 
not just players, but leaders gets formed because of the fact that the U.S. team is not there this summer. And so there's this cycle where I think there's a real willingness, regardless of who comes in, to try to put together a core group of players that are going to take this team over the next four years. And I think he would have been part of that. Uh, and still, it still may be. But from a Seattle perspective, this is a Seattle team that's gone to the last two MLS Cups. This is a Seattle team that won MLS Cup without Clint Dempsey. They lost Clint Dempsey uh, midway through the year with his, with his heart condition. Uh, so this is a team that is able and adept at dealing with adversity and dealing with the loss uh, of a player. Is Will Bruin Jordan Morris? No. This, this is a loss. It's a loss from a personal perspective, uh, and you feel bad for a, for a kid that was going through injuries last year and now an injury that looks like it's going to keep him out for most, if not all, of the year. That's a, that's a long time, and that plays havoc with not just your body, but your mind when you're out that long. So horrible news for him, horrible news for the national team. Is it horrible news for the Seattle Sounders? Yes, but it's not something that's insurmountable in terms of the, t- the, the talent uh, and the ability to recover from the loss of a player like that. All right, Mossy, that does it for our back three. We have come to the end of yet another show. And as always, my one big thing from today's podcast, and that would be this. We are in a moment here in 2018 where the 23rd season of Major League Soccer is upon us. As I said earlier in the podcast, I am biased. This is my league. This is a part of me. I came back and I was there. And one of the proudest moments of my life was getting on the plane and coming back from Italy to be part of something that, while, while I hoped I didn't know, I hoped was going to be something that not just not, not not just something that lasted for my career, but well beyond my lifetime. And we find ourselves in the 23rd year of Major League Soccer. And on and off the field, yes, it has flaws, and yes, it has problems. But in no way should we be apologizing for what MLS is or isn't. MLS is la cosa nostra. It is our thing. I can't force people to to watch it. If you want to watch it, great. If you don't, you know, like Bonnie Raitt said, I can't make you love me if you don't. There are people that love MLS and there are people that don't love MLS. But I believe if you give MLS a chance, it will grow on you. If you give MLS a chance and you open your heart and your mind to something that, yes, is different, yes, is unique, if you do that, you will come to... I'm not going to say love MLS, but at least appreciate it and admire for what it is what it is now and how far it has come over the last two plus decades. Still got a long way to go, but I, for one, am so excited that another MLS season is about to kick off. I love the players. I love the teams. I love the history. I love the fans and the community and the culture that has grown up around Major League Soccer. Programming note, our coverage kicks off with a doubleheader this upcoming Sunday. Sporting KC hosts NYCFC, and that's followed by the Galaxy against the Portland Timbers. I assume you'll be on the call of one of those matches? I will be in the StubHub Center for the LA Galaxy and Portland game alongside my friend Rob Stone. So look, Rob Stone's been around and he's a uh, true believer when it comes to Major League Soccer too. It is it is a part of many of our lives, uh, both on and off the field, and it's something that we love. And I think that most of us are excited about the return of Major League Soccer. So onward and upward when it comes to Major League Soccer. And thank you so much for tuning in to yet another edition of 
the State of the Union podcast. Thank you, Mr. Mossy. How can people find you out there, Mr. Mossy? At Statman Mossy. At Statman Mossy on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Alexi Lawless. You can find me on Facebook. Hit us up with the Ask Alexi tag. And with all of your questions, comments, and concerns, we will see you again next week right here on the State of the Union podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, size the day. <laughs>